which can also be found on the inside of your bulletin. If you are, uh, remember, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon ever preached, and we just recently went through the Lord's Prayer. And now we're on the backside, if you will, of the Sermon on the Mount, and we're examining, excuse me, the Lord's Prayer, examining what does it mean to live in light of the Lord's Prayer. And so we've been tackling the question of treasure and possessions, and how do they relate to the kingdom of God? And so last week we talked about uh, Matthew 6, 19 through 21, which was dealing with treasure in heaven or treasure on earth. We were dealing with the heart. Well, today we're going to talk about the eye. If you look at the next section, which is uh, verse 22 through 24, that's what we're going to be focused on in the next week, that last section. So let me go ahead and read this scripture for you. Hear the word of the Lord. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The word of the Lord. Well, I have an exciting test here. I, I like to test the congregation from time to time to make sure everything is going well. So this is a test on perspective, if you will. And we're going to show you a couple of images, uh, and I want you to tell me what you see. Who here sees a beautiful lady? Raise your hand. Who here sees an old woman? Now, do you see the difference? If it's a beautiful lady, that's a feather on top, and you have a nice, and you see her cheekbone. But if you see an old lady, the cheekbone is actually her nose, and the mouth is below. Two different perspectives oh. on the same image. How about this one? How about this one? How about this one? All my thunder has been stolen with one image. Okay, I guess I'm going to have to go with that. I don't know what happened. In fact, uh, whatever the case. My point is this. That seeing critical, having sight is critical. Because sometimes it's difficult to see one way or the other. Two people look at something and they see totally different things. I was reminded of a story of a person on a subway. And a guy was sitting on a subway and a, and a father walked in and he had two kids. And the kids proceeded to go nuts in the subway uh, cart. They were running around, they were crazy. And the father just had his head bowed, totally oblivious to what was going on. And the man, as he watched this, became enraged and upset and finally said to the man, well, aren't you going to take control of your kids? Can't you see how they're acting? And this man, the father, sort of awakened from a stupor and said, I'm sorry, we just left the hospital. Their mother passed away. And I'm not sure that they really know how to deal with it. See, the perspective of that man totally changed when he understood the situation. And so life is filled with different perspectives. You know, this world says that there really is no such thing as truth. There's simply perspective. You see it one way, I see it one way. It's just 
shades of gray, if you will, between one and the other. But when we read this passage, we see that Jesus is saying something different. That it's not just about perspective, it's about reality. It's not just about shades of gray, it's actually about dark and about light. Look at what he says, the eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. See, there are two perspectives here. There's no in-between. There's either light in our body or darkness. And this light enters into our body and affects the way we live and everything that we see. See, the consequences of what is in our body are so high. Because if we can have the light, we can see the world as it's meant to be. But if we have darkness, we're blind, groping around, wondering where we are supposed to go and what we are supposed to do. See, one of the questions I want to ask today is, what would life look like? What would your life look like if you could see clearly? If you could see people as they are? If we could look at our wife and our spouse and our husband and our friends and really understand them and love them and see them in their true light. What about the world? How would our perspective change about how we see the world? How would our perspective change about God if we could truly see Him as He is? Well, Jesus in this passage teaches us an all-important truth that we can only truly see the world when we see it by the light of the world. For He is the one that brings light into our hearts. So we're going to look at three things that answer this question or this statement that we can only truly see the world when we see it by the light of the world. Number one, we have to understand what darkness is. What is this darkness, excuse me, darkness that he is talking about? Number two, how do we see in the light? How can we move from darkness into the light? And then the final, number three, how can we walk in this light once we've seen it? So what is the darkness? How do we see in the light? And how do we remain in the light? Let's look at point number one. What is darkness? You know, it's interesting that the Bible begins with light, doesn't it? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that it was good. So God separated the light from the darkness. Now we understand a lot about light, don't we? Light, literally and physically, is life. Light brings life. When you think about it, the base of all living is light. Because the plants and the algae and everything use the process of photosynthesis. Using light and uh, carbon dioxide, isn't it? To go ahead and produce life. No sun, no life. But light also brings sight. It brings the ability for you to look at me and me to look at you. Imagine a world where there was only darkness. How would we build cities? How would we prepare food? How would we enjoy sports? Who plays sports in the dark? Which would be tragic. Light invades darkness. It's kind of funny, Leo and I go to bed and lo and behold, the outside bathroom, if the light is on, there's just a little light coming underneath and we engage in a battle of who's going to get up to go turn off the outside uh, bathroom light because light invades darkness. 
Finally, light is pure. Light is pure. Darkness is not a, qu a quality or an essence or a substance. Darkness is merely the absence of light. So light is pure. We understand light in a physical sense, but light is also used in a moral sense in the Bible. 1 John 1, 5, this is the message we have heard from Him and declared to you, that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. Now, God is not literally light, but He is pure, and He is holy, and He is blameless. But rather, no darkness at all. Darkness is referring to sin. In fact, hell is called the place in the darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. History is uh, comprised of a fight between the light and the dark. Because Satan, the one who masqueraded as the angel of light, the morning star fell from grace, fell to the earth, and became the prince of darkness. And so the prince of darkness fights against the light. Now where does this put us? We are made in the image of God. See, there are only two ways of spreading light. There's either one, to be the candle, or two, to be the mirror that reflects the candle. See, we're, we were designed not to be the candle, but rather the mirror that reflects the candle. But Satan, the prince of darkness, was very crafty. And so when he went to the man and the woman, he said, you don't have to reflect the light. You can become your own light. If you eat this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will become like God. So no longer must you reflect Him. You can have your own light. And we know what happened, don't we? Satan uh, attempted them, and man and woman ate the fruit, and they fell. Romans 1 says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him or gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts became darkened. See, instead of reflecting God, instead of emitting our own light, we just reflected someone else. Satan. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this age has blinded the mind of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel. See, when the light in our uh, heart disappeared, the light went out, we uh, lost access to the light. We were driven from the garden. Remember the source of light out into the world? Darkness is the reason why life is so hard, why we miscommunicate with one another, why there's poverty, why there's injustice, why there's misunderstanding. It's the darkness that exists between man and woman, man and man, as we hide from one another. We have traveled into space, and they've seen the blackness of space. We've traveled recently to the darkest place on the planet, the Marianas Trench, 37,000 feet underwater. But neither of those places are the darkest place on earth or in space. The darkest place in the world is in the human heart. See, in the end, there will be heaven, which is light, but hell, which is darkness. But if all we have is darkness, we have to follow something, anything. We're looking for something to hold on to that will lead us out of the darkness. One of my favorite creatures in The Lord of the Rings was Smeagol, known as Gollum. Remember that little creature who would hobble around? And we got to see a little bit of the uh, truth or the history of Smeagol in the last story. Smeagol was actually a hobbit at one time himself. And then he and a friend of his discovered in the riverbed the ring. And right away, uh, death and murder 
uh, happened as one, as Smeagol killed the other over the ring. You see, he had thought he had found the beauty, the light. But the story of the ring was this, in the land of Mordor where shadows lie, one ring to rule them all, one ring to find them, one ring to bring them all, and in the darkness find them. And so as Smeagol became Gollum, the ring led him underground. For 400 years in the darkness, he looked at this beautiful precious of his, the thing that he thought would bring him light, but only brought him darkness. See, the only light in the world is God. And so without Him, we live in darkness. The question I have for you is what's leading you? What are you counting on to lead you out of the darkness into the light? You're a young person embarking on a new career. New opportunities lie in front of you. And you hear the message to be more successful, work longer hours, acquire and acquire and acquire. And maybe one day, 30 years from now, when you have the quarter offers, you will arrive. But will you really? What is it that you're counting on to lead you out of the darkness? Is it your brains? Is it the bottle? Is it your spouse? Is it your stomach? All these things ultimately will only lead to darkness. And so we must see them for what they are and come to our senses. Because we can only truly see the world when we see by the light of the world. Everything else leads to darkness. And so now we have an understanding of what darkness is. We need to understand how we can see the light. <clears throat> the beauty of the story of the Bible is it's a story of God to restore light in the darkness of the human heart. Even in Genesis 3, after man and woman had fallen, God gathers man and woman and Satan. And he says that there will be a battle, literally murder in the Hebrew, between you and you as you battle with one another. But at some time, the seed of the woman, the offspring in the singular, the seed of the woman will crush, the seed, crush your head, Satan. There will be victory at some point. And so God has come to restore the light. The story of the Bible is the story of a seed who is coming. Here are some prophecies of the seed. He is coming to open the eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. God says of the Messiah, I will lead the blind by ways they have not known. Along unfamiliar paths I will guide them. I will turn the darkness into light before them, and I will make the rough places smooth. These are the things I will do, and I will not forsake them. And so the one that was spoken of for thousands of years finally came, the person Jesus Christ. God made man, the perfect God and the perfect man. One God, two persons. John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made, and without Him nothing was made that had been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. See, the light entered into the world with this baby being born in Bethlehem, as the star appeared over Him. And the light shone around the shepherds, and said, do not fear, for in this day in the town of Bethlehem, a Savior is born. 
Jesus entered not only as the image of God to reflect God's light, but as God himself to give the light. Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What a beautiful picture for those who are looking for a way out of the darkness. But what is unbelievable, what is so difficult to understand, is many people rejected his message, and many people hated him, to the point of crucifying him. And this is why. This is the verdict, John 3, 19. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light, and will not come into the light for the fear that their deeds will be exposed. And so God has come in Christ to bring the light. And the lamp of light is the eye. And so serious is this opportunity to see light that this is what it says. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if, this is what Jesus says. So if your light, eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. See, this is the key, the health of the eye. It's the lamp of the body. Okay, we understand that physically, don't we? If you close our eyes, we're in darkness, but if we open our eyes, we're able to see. But it's just as true spiritually, where the eye is the window to the soul, isn't it? When you look in someone's eyes, you see a window to the soul. It's spiritual. The scriptures even say in Ephesians 1.18, Paul says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you to. The eye is the lamp to the soul. So what does it mean that the eye must be healthy? You see that? If the eye, if the eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. This Greek word here, the eye is healthy, uh, the word healthy is aplus in Greek. And aplus means single, a single pleat or a single braid in a strand. We characterize aplus as different from duplex, which means double. So for instance, if you live in a duplex, that's where the word came from. There's two, where in aplus, there is one. So physically what that means, morally, it means pretty much the same thing. Morally, in the Hebrew, when you look at Aplus and translate it, the word Tamim comes out. Anyone named Tammy? This is where your name came from. Pure. It's pure, and it means righteous, and it means blameless. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Tamim is pure. Another word for it would be Yasar, which means straight. The one who is healthy is straight, not crooked. Proverbs 11.20 says, Those of a crooked heart are an abomination to the Lord, but those of blameless ways are His delight. And so what healthiness means, in short, is to be single-hearted, single-minded. And not to be healthy is to be double-minded, to be duplicitous, as the Word says. But you see, what Jesus is saying is there's one or the other. Single-hearted or double-minded. You can't have both of them. And there are consequences to what you choose for your eye. Jesus said, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into your hell, into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. 
He's saying it's so important that your eye is healthy. Do whatever you have to to make sure. See, single is the focus of what Jesus is saying if you want to be healthy. And it makes perfect sense. You know, if you look at this passage, there are three specific teachings. The last one, treasure on earth, treasure in heaven. Light, darkness, two masters, money, God. It's an either or. It can't be a both end. See, it penetrates our heart if our eyes are healthy. For God said, let light shine out of the darkness. May his light shine into our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. There's a great story in John 9. Many of you read it. Uh, we, we shared a little bit of it in our scripture reading. And it's of the man who was born blind. And for 40 years, he begged and could not work, could not really live a full existence because he was blind. And then Jesus came to him. And Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, I want to see. According to your faith, let your sight be restored. And so he, he, was, he, he got to see. And Jesus said, take up your bedroll and go home. And as he did that, the Pharisees saw that he was carrying his bedroll on the Sabbath. And they said, you're not allowed to do that. But the man who healed me told me to. When did this man heal me? Today, on the Sabbath, this man could not be from God because nobody works on the Sabbath. And so there's this interaction between the blind man who all of a sudden says to them, God doesn't listen to sinners. And so if God listens to this person, surely he's from God. Why do you keep asking me? Do you want to become his disciples too? You see, the blind man all of a sudden can see. But the Pharisees throw him out. And they say, we're disciples of Moses. You're a fool. Well, Jesus finds the man again. And he says, do you believe in the one who is the son of man? Which was a title of God in Daniel. He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him. And the one who is here is him speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe that he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world. That those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard him saying these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. See, the blind man was desperate. He needed a way out. And his heart was aptless, single-minded. And God took that man and took him from darkness to light. Not only in his sight, but in his heart. But the Pharisees were blinded by their pride and their love of money and their stature. Double-minded, serving God and serving themselves. And so they could not see the light of the world. To them, it was darkness. But it was the blind man that God led. There was a certain, we have a movie at our house, Apollo 13. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. It's a great story about Jim Lovell and these guys that are going up to the moon. And there's an accident and they have to find a way to get back to Earth. And they're showing some footage. They were in Lovell's house and they're showing some old footage of Lovell. And this television reporter, back in the day, is asking him a question. And he's saying, is there a specific instance in an airplane emergency when you recall fear? Before he was an astronaut. 
And Level said, uh, you know, I tell you, I remember this one time. I'm in a Banshee aircraft at night in combat conditions. So there's no running lights on our, car our carrier. And we were in the Sea of Japan and my radar had jammed. And my homing signal was gone because somebody in Japan was actually using the same frequency. And so it was, it was leading me away from where I was supposed to be. And I'm looking down at this big black ocean, so I flip on my map light. And then all of a sudden, everything shorts out. So even there in my cockpit, I'm blind. All of my instruments are gone, my lights are gone, and I can't even tell now what my attitude is. Altitude. And I know I'm running out of fuel. So I'm thinking about ditching in the ocean. And I look down there, and there in the darkness, there is, there's this green trail. It's like a long carpet that's just laid out right beneath me. And it was the algae, right? It was the phosphorescent stuff that gets churned up in the wake of a big ship. And it was leading me home. You know, if my cockpit lights hadn't shorted out, there's no way I'd ever been able to see them. So you never know what, what events are to transpire to get you home. See, there's one decision, one step of faith. Everything else has shorted out. There's one way home. And that decision is a decision of faith. You know, in faith there is enough light for those who want to believe, and enough shadows to blind those who don't. Christ is the light of the world, and He has come into the world to lead us home. It was C.S. Lewis that said, I believe in Christ like I believe in the sun as in the sun. Not so much that I can see Christ, but rather by Him I can see everything else. So the question that I have for you is what's blocking the light in your life? What's the eclipse, if you will, that's come over your eyes? Is it fear? Is it fear that if I let go of the path that I'm going on and I take the path of Christ, that I will be lost? That I will never emerge into the light? It was Plato that says we can easily forgive a child who is afraid of the dark. The real tragedy of life is when men are afraid of the light. Christ is the one who comes into our life and says, do not fear, for I am with you. Is it pride? I can make my own way. I'm a self-made man. I can find a way to the light in this life, and I don't need anybody to tell me the way. But have you got to the end of the road where you realize that all the lights are shorted out and you need a path if you want to live? Maybe it's anger. I'm angry at God. Something happened in your life. Something happened a while ago and you're upset that you feel like God wasn't there and so you're angry. And you don't think that God can come into your life. God is greater than your anger. God is greater than your fear. God can heal your heart if you let him. And maybe it's the world. If you're a Christian, you've already given your life to Christ, and yet things have encroached on your life. Worldly things. Success and power and beauty and entertainment. So much that we've lost the light, the path that God has called us on. If so, we must commit to the light. Because He is the one that gives us light that can shine in our hearts. He can shine light into the way we see this world into our relationships, into our possessions. 
He can give us the proper perspective about what it means to live the light. And He not only gives us the Spirit, which shows us the light, He gives us the Word of God. And in the Word of God, we see the path to the one who is Christ. Thy Word is a light unto my path and a lamp unto my feet. See, the Word leads us to Christ, and Christ leads us this brings me to my final point. If we understand what it means to go to the light, how do we continue walking in the light? It was Viktor Frankl who says, what is to give light must endure burning. Frankl, some of you know, was a Jewish uh, psychotherapist who ended up spending time in Auschwitz back in that particular time. and lost family, he lost his wife, he lost his father. But as, as Frankl observed the people, who were struggling, who were in prison, he noticed that some people had an innate urge to live, while others, when the same conditions, would die. Because they had no hope, it seemed. They had no, and he wanted to understand why was that. And he realized that the ones that wanted to continue on was that they had something to live for. They had something to love. And as he saw this, Frankl said, a thought transfixed me. For the first time in my life, I saw the truth as it is said into song by so many poets, proclaimed as the final wisdom by so many thinkers. The truth that love is the ultimate and highest goal to which man can aspire. And then I grasped the meaning of the greatest secret that human poetry and thought and belief have to impart. The salvation of man is through love and in love. I understood how a man who has nothing left in this world still may know bliss in a position of utter desolation which man cannot express himself in positive action when his only achievement may consist in enduring his sufferings in the right way, an honorable way, in such a position man can, through loving contemplation, bless and love the image of his beloved. See, light is love. And love is perfected in suffering. What is to give light must endure burning. And so not only did Christ come to give the light, but he came to be the light and burn because Christ perfected his love in suffering. See, it was the suffering that Christ experienced in order to rescue us. It was the pain that gave the proclamation strength and force. God demonstrated His own love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The story of the Incarnation, the story of Jesus' life, is simply this, a descent into darkness. For Christ must endure darkness to set us free. He must walk into the dark to bring us out. See, if you are in the darkness, guess what? Christ has gone even lower than you. Isn't it interesting, in the night that he was to be betrayed, that the arrest came at night in the Garden of Gethsemane? And the trial was during night. And during the crucifixion, an eclipse happened, and the sky became dark. And the separation, the darkness between Jesus and his Father, when he said, Why, O oh God, why have you forsaken me? And then there was the final darkness as he was laid into the tomb. And the, and the stone was rolled over for three days in utter darkness. 
But isn't it a beautiful thing that in this ascent, this resurrection would take place in the early morning during the sunrise. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb, and they found that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. See, Jesus endured suffering so he could reach out and grasp us in the darkness. He's known fear. He's known despair. He's known suffering, and he's triumphed through them all. What is to give life must endure burning. And so if Christ has overcome the darkness, he can rescue you from your darkness. You may say to yourself, my darkness is too deep. I've done too much. The hole is too deep. But you see, no depth or height can separate us from the love of Christ. Christ's light is greater than your doubt, greater than your lack of faith, greater than the darkness in you. For the light shines best in the darkness. So hold out your hand, single-handedly, and Christ's light will transform you. He will transform you in the world and tell you that you are a chosen people, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. See, all we are as a church is this. People have been called out of the darkness into the light to proclaim what God has done for us. We're simply a lighthouse, a church of relief. He gives us light in the way that we treat each other. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the darkness of sin is washed away. We can only love and care for one another when we walk in the light. The hope of the world is this, that we may live a life worthy of the Lord, being strengthened with all power, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you and me to share in the inheritance of the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Can you imagine how your life would change if you took your eyes off the darkness and gave them to the light? That you too could be the light of the world shining in a world that's desperately dark. You know, the Bible started with light and it ends with light. At the very end of all things, when we see the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of God, heaven coming down, God will say that the dwelling of God is no longer with men and there will be no more crying. It is with men. There will be no more pride, no more pain, no more darkness. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of the Lamb or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. We may live in a world of darkness, but we can see the light. Walk in the light. Maybe you may feel in the dark in the night, but the dark, the dawn is coming. We, church, are the fellowship of the light, and so we must live differently. Because we have found the one, even in the dark, who is going to lead us home. The only one who can fix the darkness of our hearts is the light of the world. By his grace, let us Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this picture of we who are darkness, we who are lost. We're able to see the light because you came into the darkness. You who endured burning. 
where a light that could continue, that would not be snuffed out, but rather have the power to reach into our darkness and to pull us out and to bring us into the kingdom of light, of the sun. Lord, we pray that we can walk in the light amidst whatever difficulties we have, whatever challenges. Help us to remember who we are and the inheritance we have in you. And help us to take this light out into the world that it might shine on others and that they may see the love of Christ and take his hand as well. All of this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.